Uh, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Privilege, as always, is mine to see you guys. Uh, we're in week three of our sermon series called Connected. Uh, we're going through a series trying to understand our life in the church. Uh, we walk through the importance of being a part of the, the local church of God's global church in an expression like Life Community Church a couple weeks ago. Uh, we laid out that our responsibility really is to the Lord is just one thing. One thing is that, that we would abide in the Lord, that we would remain connected with the Lord, that we would live for Him. And in meeting that responsibility, when we remain in the Father, the Spirit then begins to bear fruit in our lives that makes things like good works, makes things like church attendance, they make all of those things privileges that we get to be a part of and not tasks that we get to do. And that lens, the lens of our responsibility, uh, becomes the primary kind of thing that we work out of in life. That becomes our primary lens, and, and, and that is uh, a prerequisite. That responsibility is a prerequisite to anything that we're going to talk about in this series or pretty much in any other series that we ever do here at Life. That's basic. And so then last week, we walked into the area of being connected in unity, that we, we would say that there is a, a desire from the Lord that His people would come together around the things that matter. And the things that we said that mattered was the gospel of Christ, the hope and the message of salvation in Christ. And that outside of those things, if we work in that lens first, we are to bear with one another in our differences. Look, there's room for, for good debate on theological positions, but we are to bear with one another with, with our hope of Christ being what is in front of us in, this, in, the, in that way. That we would move towards Christ, that we would move towards unity amongst ourselves in our hearts, in our minds, that we would be of one spirit and one mind. And then this week, what we're going to walk into is this idea that we're connected to grow together, that we're connected to grow together, that as we fulfill that responsibility of abiding in the Lord, remaining in the Lord, that out of that should flow a desire to unite with other believers, and in that surrounding of ourselves, of other people that are followers of Christ in this church, together we would experience a growth and a maturation that would be uncommon and unachievable outside of that context, outside of God's church. And so that's what we want to walk in this week. There's no doubt, look, there's no doubt, no, no doubt that in terms of spiritual things that we have to become people who are sustaining our own walks with the Lord's, that we have to be ones who are diligent in, in building discipline uh, of depending on the Lord, abiding in the Lord, leaning on the, on the Lord, because here's the reality. Like, if you're coming here on Sunday and you expect this to be the place that you grow spiritually, I'm telling you, brother and sister, you've got the wrong expectation. Because uh, two things. Number one, I'm just not that good, right? And I don't want a whole lot of amens on that, right? No amens on that. I'm just not that good. Nor is any pastor or preacher that you're ever going to encounter in your life. They can't change the human heart. Only God, only the Holy Spirit can do that. So, number one, I'm not that good. And number two is this. You would not think to survive and thrive in life by just eating physical food one day a week. Even if that food was the greatest food of all time in Skyline Chili, you would not survive nor thrive in that scenario. You wouldn't just eat physical food one day a week. So why is it that we believe in our spiritual lives that we would thrive and survive spiritually by just eating spiritual food one day a week? It just doesn't make sense. It is not what the Lord would have for us. We are to create sustaining spiritual lives where we are leaning on the Lord ourselves 
We're depending on the Lord ourselves. There's a word that describes this kind of attitude. It's called infantilism. And infantilism is the inability of a Christian to spiritually feed themselves, resulting in an unhealthy dependency on supplemental nourishment, meaning they get pre-digested spiritual food in the forms of sermons and books and study guides, pre-digested spiritual food that comes to them as a secondhand source without ever engaging into the actual meat of the Word of God itself, the actual Word, the living Word of God as the first source of what we believe in. That's not the habit that we want to create as believers. That's not what the Lord would have for us. He wants us to create it within our hearts as we are empowered by the Spirit to have sustaining walks with the Lord as we abide in Him. Now, something special happens supernaturally when we have people who are committed to the Lord and are committed to the responsibility of abiding in the Father, growth and maturation get amplified inside of that kind of a vacuum when brothers and sisters in Christ are pursuing Christ, being believers on mission, on purpose. Things begin to happen that, frankly, as humans, we can't begin to comprehend. There, there is something that happens when, when believers gather under the banner of Christ because they want to be there. And more so than that, they want Christ more than anything else in their life. I think that we could see a spa sacred space like that when we look at the early church. If we look at the church in Acts, in Acts 2 specifically, these are my, one of my, some of my favorite verses. I, I don't know about you guys, I want this with my whole heart. This is what I want to be a part of. This is what it says in Acts 2. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and, to, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, this is, this is what's amazing to me. All they were doing is living in authentic community with each other, focused on Christ and doing their responsibilities, being with one another. And what does the Lord do? And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That kind of version of the church. If we could get there, what the Lord promises is that people want that. They want to be a part of that, and we don't have to do anything, but the Lord just gives his people over to that kind of desire as he watches people, as they watch people live authentically to the Lord into, uh, in, in their hearts and with others. And so look, look, understand this. There is nothing spectacular about those people in the book of Acts that are in the early church. There is nothing that they have that is not available to you and I. There is nothing that was given to them that wasn't given to us by access through Christ. There are not superheroes in the Bible. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, yes, say superheroes. But everyone else is just you and I. Everyone else is just you and I, believers who are empowered by the Holy Spirit and empowered to do things together. Because friends, Christianity, Christ following, is not a me thing. Yes, we have responsibility in this, to lead our hearts as the Spirit draws us close to God, but this is very much a we thing. We have this tendency in this culture to, to ideal, uh, individualize everything. 
We, we just, we don't view our faith in the lens of a communal faith. We view it as, it's about me. And, and certainly there's some truth that is about your, you have a responsibility in this. But God's story is about his people. And it's been true since the day of creation. And it will be true long, a long time after we're gone here. You are just a vehicle for the Holy Spirit to work on earth. This isn't about you. This is about God. Because in 150 years, friends, and I'm just being honest, and maybe this is difficult, nobody's going to care about you. 150 years from now, nobody's going to care about you because you're going to be gone. Maybe, maybe, maybe if we're lucky, right? We get that great, great grandchild who has to do some family tree ancestry stuff in his class. Maybe he gets to hang a picture of Uncle Bill, kind of crazy guy, and then that's it. That's what we have. This isn't about us. Don't make this about us. It's about the God that's moved throughout the generations and the millennial working in us. And he has created us and designed us to be together, united in faith. First Thessalonians. That's what Paul writes. He said, for God has not destined us for wrath. Amen to that. He's not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Did you catch the us in there? Us, us, encourage one another that we grow, that we grow, that we build each other up. Because when God created us, and I said this last week, he said it wasn't good for man to be alone. And I amen that, because it's true. I'm glad I'm not alone. And although the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, were created in the likeness and the image of our Father, they were not created self-sufficient. They just were not. Had they been created self-sufficient, there would have been no need for Adam to have a companion. If they were created to be self-sufficient, there would be no need for God to walk through the garden with them and say, hey, don't eat that fool. If they were created as self-sufficient beings, we wouldn't even need God. And that is the lie that Satan deceived Eve with in the garden, that she didn't need God, that she could be like God. But we all know that she needed God. She was not created self-sufficient, nor are you and I. We are not self-sufficient. And so today, what we want to do is to walk in the area of understanding our connection to each other that fosters our growth together. And it produces growth as a collective, not just as an individual. And look, I am a personal example of this being true in life. Uh, when I, I went to Ball State, and I said that last week, chirp, chirp. Went to Ball State. So Ball State, look, let's just be honest, cannot have a great reputation when it comes to student life. It has been known as a party school. When I was there, it was the, the number one ranked party school in the country. But just like any university or college, you make your experience what you want to, it to be. You make your experiences what you want to be. I, I came to Ball State as a new, young, immature believer, and I left Ball State in full-time vocational ministry. My experience at Ball State is a testament to a living God and to his people. Because the thing about a public school like Ball State or any university is that at any point you can make a decision to be a part of, of so many different groups, so many different activities. You can literally pick 
any time to be a part of something. Or you can also choose not to be a part of anything. You can just completely isolate yourself. Nobody is there. No mom and dad is there. No siblings. Nobody is forcing you to do anything. Nobody is trying to force you to go somewhere or be something. And when you have an environment like that where you can make decisions and have very little consequence to those things, when you create an environment that's about being a Christian, if you go to an event that's about being a Christian, here's what happens. People are there because they want to be there. Because they could do anything else in the world, but they want to be there. And it was inside of that vacuum where there were people that wanted to be with the Lord and they were holding and handling their responsibility to pray and to read and to gather that my faith flourished inside of that. I went from zero to 60 in a hurry because people were committed and loved to be together and they loved to be with their Lord. And inside of that context, growth happens at a scale that you and I can't imagine because the Spirit pushes us against each other and pushes us towards a growth that's unbelievable. And so that's a very tangible example of God's growth amongst people who are connected. But let's try to grasp it in in a more of a biblical way. And to do that, we're going to look at Ephesians 4. We're going to look at Ephesians 4 today uh, and read through that. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints, and the saints are all of you who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is a passage about communal growth. This is a passage about the church growing together. And in these verses, it is very concrete in our understanding that we need each other. We were designed for each other. That God has given us all roles. He's given you a role. I've got a role for the good of the body. And that is there to build up the body in love so that the body grows. That's why it's there. So that we're not carried away, as it says, by every wind and wave of doctrine, by the deceitful schemes of this world. And so as I've read this verse over the last couple weeks, uh, there seems to be three things that pop out to me, that stick out to me as fundamental to us growing together as a body to experience the type of Acts 2 church that we see, even to some way experience that, that kind of vacuum at Ball State that I was a part of that falls completely short of what Acts 2 looks like. So three things. Number one, be a participant, not just a spectator. Be a participant, not just a spectator. Uh, this, these verses speak towards action, towards faith in action. And so obviously you, you probably know this about me. I'm a huge sports fan. Been a huge sports fan for a while. Uh, the Chicago Cubs, top of the paradigm. Okay, they're always up there. It was a rough night last night. Right below them are the Fighting Irish of La Universidad de Notre Dame. Uh, I, I love sports. And I have since I was a little kid. 
I loved him since I was little. And my brother was an athlete. It's debatable whether he was an athlete. He was okay at things. Uh, But because he played sports, I followed into sports. And here's something I learned really early. Uh, I was never going to be the best player or the most talented person on any team that I was ever going to be a part of. And that had a lot to do with the fact that I probably didn't hit puberty until I was a sophomore in high school. It was always a runt. But what I lacked in talent, I always tried to give an effort. And one of the things that always bothered me was when I saw somebody who was a better athlete or more talented than I was that didn't play sports. I just, they didn't play, I just felt like it was a waste of talent. Just felt like it was a waste of talent. Like, why why are you not, maybe you had that experience in school where you had a friend who you knew if he played, he would be the best player on your team, but for some reason, because things were too hard for him to to run or, or, or maybe he was just lazy, they just chose not to come. And I just, that aggravated me because I thought, man, you're missing here. And I would think, man, if I just had that guy's talent in my effort, what, could you imagine? I mean, could you imagine what kind of, I'd be all world if I had that kind of body and that kind of talent with my effort. I'd say those things all the time. Maybe I'm the only fool that kind of said those things. Maybe you said those things. I'm not sure. But I was aggravated at what a waste of talent and ability that was. Sometimes I wonder, I speculate that has the Lord ever had thoughts about me or about us that share a similar thread? I wonder if sometimes he looks at us and thinks, man, I made you so well. I made you so well. I gave you so much talent and ability. Why, why are you wasting it? Why are you not participating in my body? Why, are, why aren't you giving? Why, why aren't you using the gifts that I've give, given to you? Why are you settling? Why are you selling yourself short? I didn't create you to watch. I wonder if the Lord has ever had that thought about me, about us. Because here's the reality that you, we've got to understand. When Christ died, and when he was raised again, and when he ascended back to the Father, upon that ascension, God gave us a gift called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit rests on and in all of those who profess the name of Christ. And where Jesus was found by physical location, the Holy Spirit is not. The Holy Spirit can be anywhere at any time, but all at once. And so know that when you trust in the Lord, when he has made you his, when he's adopted you as sons and daughters by faith through grace, you've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit to keep you, to guide you, to convict you. And here's the thing. Here's what the word would say to us. We have something that rests in us and on us that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. This is what the the word says. The same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead lives in those who profess the name of Christ. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and I. And so maybe you're thinking, so what? That's crazy. In, In the word it says that we who are of faith can say to that mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and if we have faith and do not doubt, it will happen. Some of you are like, so I can move things with my mind like an X-Men? That's not what I'm saying to you. What I'm saying is that you have a massive amount of power and a massive amount of gifts that are to transform your heart and your mind, not just you, but the world around you. And when you read the pages of Scripture you will not find a person of faith who is active in the spirit that isn't pursuing something 
Nobody with the Holy Spirit is sitting down and being idle. If we go back and read Hebrews 11, which would be a good homework assignment for you guys, Hebrews 11, it's a famous by faith chapter in Hebrews 11. What you will find is a reminder of, of a faith that is active, a faith that is active, that you read of countless examples of God's people who, because of their faith, are pushed to do things that are difficult, are pushed to do things that are hard. Their faith drove them into action in some very, very grandiose ways, and some just in small details of life, but all of them were on the move because of their faith, because of the Spirit. Nobody settled in that. Nobody sat down and just watched. The Holy Spirit wouldn't let them do that. And so, in knowing that, we've got, you've got to understand this, brothers and sisters, like, if there's not something inside of you that desires to be obedient to the Father, if there is nothing in us that is pushing us or wrestling us towards the Father, we have to ask ourselves some really difficult questions. Namely, do I just know about Jesus or do I actually know him? I don't want anyone to ever assume that you're a Christian. Do you know the Father? Because the Father produces a desire for obedience, a wrestling to move towards him. And we have to ask serious questions about ourselves. Because we have to stop being spectators. We just have to stop being spectators. And we have to move to being participants in the Lord's church. And you may ask like, well, how do I do that? Well, I would start with this question. What's my role? What's my role in this? What's my role in this? How do I participate? Well, figure that part out. <laughs> figure what the Lord has designed you to do. And Paul gives us some really good help in this in 1 Corinthians. He talks about spiritual gifts, and, and they're not just limited to these in chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians. There's lots of gifts that the Lord gives us, but these are some of the things that we talk about, that he talked about. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to that same Spirit, but another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, that's discernment, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. We, we need to find out and figure out what the Lord has created us to do. And so just a real, uh, uh, do you know that? And I'm not just, that's not a rhetorical question. Do you, do you know what the Lord has created you to do? Do you, do you know how he has wired you? Because he's uniquely made you. And he's uniquely made you to do something. And maybe, 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 and not just maybe, you need to find that out. You need to find out what he has created you to do. And there's all sorts of spiritual gifts evaluators out there that you can do to take a test and see some analysis of what your spiritual gifts are. But better yet, here's what I would say to you. Ask someone. What a blessing it is 
to you, to ask somebody you love that knows you, to say, hey, could you help me? I'm trying to figure out what the Lord has blessed me with, what kind of things he's given to me. What a a great thing that you get to be encouraged by another believer in that. And then you get to be speculative in questions like, okay, so what is it that I do that other people don't like doing? I think that's a good indicator of what the Lord has created you for, when you like to do something that other people don't like to do. What, what What is the Lord created in me that is natural, that's unnatural in other people? Those are the kind of speculative questions that we should be asking to people. And in doing that, it's a double blessing. You get to be encouraged, and then you get to hear some of the cool things that God has wired you to do as seen by others. So do that. Be, be people that do that. Here's what I know the Lord has created within me. Uh, really thick black hair and strong calves. That's my giftings. No, just kidding. Those aren't my giftings, but they're true. It's true. Uh, uh, I don't, the skinny jeans don't exist to me. Every cut of jean is a skinny jean to me. Uh, so the, the Lord has wired me, seriously, that I can take these really big things and lots of information and see solutions in that. He also has wired me, I'm relational. I, I love relationships. I can build relationships, and he's wired me to teach. There may be a few other things, but listen, as long as I exist, I'm going to serve the Lord in those three areas. I'm going to serve his church in those areas. Whether I'm in vocational ministry or not, I'm going to give those things to the Lord because that's what he's given to me. And I want to serve his church. And so find your role and do it. Find your role and do it because when we all work in harmony, when we all work in harmony, building each other up, knowing our roles, working in our roles, friends, it is completely unimaginable the type of impact a church like that would have. Completely unimaginable for me as a human brain. If the members of the local church could figure out how to work together in their roles, how to use their gifts in complementary ways, I can't imagine, I cannot imagine the impact. And when I think of people working together, using their talents for the betterment of each other, I kind of get this picture of geese. It's really a geese. Like, I get this picture of a flying V formation in my head. And honestly, now, because my ADD, I'm thinking of the movie uh, Mighty Ducks. I just, that's the way my brain works. And maybe anybody else think of Mighty Ducks when I say, okay. I'll, now I got knuckle puck in my head. Okay, I'm going to focus. Listen to how complex the roles of geese are in the flying V. These geese really rely on one another. The people in the front, the leaders, they rotate. So when one gets tired, because their job is to break the wind, they rotate when they get tired, so they can rest and get behind somebody else, and somebody else can lead the way. By flying in a V, by flying in a V, these geese create an upward lift. It's an upward air draft that they create. Each goose, when it flaps its wing, creates this upward lift that helps the geese behind them, or the goose behind them. And studies have said, and I don't know who did the studies, I want to figure out, because I would like to do studies like these. They said that, that these geese flying in the, in the flying V formation create a 71% further flying range than if a goose was just flying by itself. And in that flying V, if one goose gets tired and hurt, two other geese fly down with it onto the ground to help it, protect it, while it regains its strength to be able to fly again. And it is the geese in the back of the formation that do the honking. Ah, ah. They do the, 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 the honk. It's an annoying, geese are just an annoying honk. 
Just be honest with it. It's the geese in the back that do the honk to, to say, hey, we're following. Things are good back here. But not only that, to encourage all of those in front of them to keep going. And one of the things that sticks out to me the most in, in with geese is that it's, it's just a natural instinct for them to work together. There's no other option, like literally no other option for them. It's a natural instinct. Whether it's rotating or flapping or flying or helping, they are helping each other through the struggles as the flock stays together, which enables them to accomplish and do more than they ever could do by themselves. Every goose does its part. And I think this is an apt picture for what a healthy, stable church looks like. That in our understanding, our understanding of the fact that we need each other and we know our roles and we participate together, we build each other up to accomplish more than we ever could dream possible by ourselves, to honor the Lord and grow more than we ever could do as individuals. And so figure out, friends, what you were created to do and do that a whole heck of a lot. Figure out what you were created to do, how you were wired, and do that a lot. And when you figure that out, get equipped. That's our last, get equipped. In Ephesians, the verse says it's the apostles and the evangelists and the prophets' job to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So those of you who sit in this congregation, you are to become equipped to do the work of ministry, not to watch the people who are in ministry do ministry. You are all ministers by vocation because you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you have a call on your life. And that call is to make disciples of this world, to reconcile those who don't have peace with God through Christ back to the Father. You are to tell the good news that we have a whole relationship with God again through Christ. That's the call that we all have on our lives, those of us who profess, profess and believe, who've been adopted as sons and daughters, who've been made right by God. You are to take what it is that he has wired you to do, and you are to leverage it, leverage it for that cause, to let people know that there is peace now between God and man through Christ. And so take your gift and get equipped. Get equipped in it. And you may ask, like, well, how do I do that? That's a good question. How do I do that? Because I don't feel equipped. I feel inadequate. Look, there, there's not, just be honest. There are days that we wake up that we just feel inadequate for the task at hand. There are days that I wake up and think, how am I going to achieve all the goals that are in front of me this day? How, this week? This year? We wake up and we feel inadequate. So how do we overcome our inadequacy? And how do we stop doubting our value? Because, friends, your, your value is not determined by you. It's determined by your God. Your value doesn't rest with you, it rests with God. And so how do, we, how do we get to the point where we overcome that? Well, the answer lies with most other questions and their answers is that it's, it's in the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. That's the answer to that. In Hebrews, in Hebrews, it says this in 13. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. Who equipped there? Jesus equipped you 
with everything good for doing his will, and he, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him. Who's doing the work there? The Lord is doing the work there. Through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever and ever. If you confess Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, you have everything that you need in life to accomplish what Christ has called you to do. You have everything that you need in life. God has equipped you for everything that you're going to face. Because according to scripture, he takes pleasure in seeing us do the works and accomplish the works that he's given us to do. And so the biggest breakthrough in this area of being equipped, in this area of of learning and being equipped, is to remember not to rely on yourself. Don't rely on yourself and your ability. Because look, I've said, you're just not that good. Some of us are fooled ourselves into believing that we are, but we're not. Equipping happens when we lay down our own disbeliefs about our inabilities and our abilities and don't lean on ourselves, but lean on God because we're not that good, but the Savior is. He is that good. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about Him. It's about you trusting God that He saved you and He will equip you to do the work of ministry as you step out in faith, giving you all that you need. And the second thing I would say here in the area of equipping is to get some wisdom. Solomon, the wisest man the Bible says that has ever lived and will ever live, said, above all else, even if it costs you everything, get wisdom. Get wisdom. Seek guidance in the things that God has wired you to do. Learn what it is that he has wired you and get equipped and seek wisdom. It is not devaluing to God and his strength in our our needing to lean on him. It isn't devaluing our own personal pursuit of of the Lord to to say that we need to gain wisdom in these areas that the Lord has gifted us. They're not paradoxical. God created you with a brain to learn. He didn't create you to be dumb. He gave you the good gift of a brain. And so seek out wisdom as you flex those muscles of your spiritual giftings that you would grow in those areas and serve the Lord. And here's where I would start. I would start with the Bible. I would start with his word. Get in his word and find wisdom. And so those are the three big ideas that begin to take us into an environment where we grow together as we are connected together. And we grow together more so connected than we ever would as an individuals. And so here's what I'm just, my heart, like, can we make this a desire? Can we make this our heart's desire, that we would grow connected to each other, that we would grow in our desires to want to be with the Lord and his people, that we would want God more than anything else? Can we make that the prayer of our hearts? That's what I want. That's the prayer of my heart. I want to be in this together. So let's challenge ourselves in that area. Uh, You know, I think the thing that's fascinating, it's kind of gripped me uh, this week as I've gone through these things. So this series, you know, when we plan out sermons, it's five, six, a year in advance that we're laying out these things that, that we want to do within the church. And as I've walked through these last three weeks, I couldn't help but thank God, your timing is unbelievable. That you would walk us through these things right now in the season that we're in. Isn't it amazing to see how the Lord is working in that? I've been so encouraged in these things. Look, friends, here's the thing. I don't necessarily know what's on the other side of all of this. I trust in the Lord. 
But there is a resolve within me that's given to me by the Lord that I know that whatever we walk through today will be worth it on the other side. But I don't want to do it without you. And I don't want you to do it without each other because it's futile. We need each other. And we need to pray that our heart is moved in a way that we would desire to live in Christian community as we seek the Lord and do our own responsibility. It's for the betterment of his church and for the glory of his name. Those are the things that we pursue. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today and we just, we praise you as a God that just moves our hearts. God, would you just stir in our hearts? Will you convict us of the areas that we're falling short and being connected to you and be connected to other believers? Lord, will you push within us a desire as we own our responsibility to be with your people? Will you let us see those things as privileges, things that we get to do? And Lord, will you move within this congregation in a way where it fosters growth at a level that we've not seen? And God, will you teach us to lean on each other? Lean on each other in all of this. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for who you are. But we thank you most for Christ, who's done for us what we could not. Amen.